0: Well, good morning. Many of you are, maybe they're new, might be a little confused. I'm not Jason Williams. Uh, maybe if I got, st- he got stung by something and blew up, but, you know, that's about it. So I'm Brian. My name is Brian Lamb, and I'm the pastor of Community and missions here. You may have seen me around or heard my name or something like that. I'm kind of a big deal here, but... Uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not at all. It's not a good way to start a sermon, is it? Right? So, Anchor Man just went in my head. Uh, anyway, so, it's always, I, I really enjoy being able to have the opportunity to get up here. I get to come up here about four times a year and just open the Word of God and be able to see what He has for us. And so, before we get into all of that, though, today, I just want to remind everybody on November 5th is our first annual chili uh, cook-off here at Solid Rock. It's going to be during the 11:45 service. And so, uh, we want to invite everybody uh, to come to the 815 or the 10. We're going to f- try to figure out some way to fit everybody. If you're a member, we'd love to encourage you to come to the 815 and make that sacrifice and then hang around and help somebody set up some things, and then uh, we'll, we'll do that chili cook-off. And so if you want to compete in that, uh, we would love to have you sign up in the back, uh, or you can email community at srchurch.tv. And so uh, this is a, a great, great time. We rarely do this where we have all three services, the entire Solid Rock Church, in the same place. And so we're encouraged that God's going to bless our time of fellowship, and we're looking forward to that. So we want you to, to know that you are invited and, and welcome at the Chili Cook-Off. So, all right, we've been in this series called The Desires of the Heart, uh, and we've been looking at, at, at different idols that gain the affections of our hearts that become ultimate in our lives. And so today we're going to look at the scriptures with the idol of control. It's a fun one. Um this has been a very interesting idol to, to kind of look at, to study, because we when we look through the scriptures, we see that actually, like one of the fruits of the Spirit is self control. Right? Uh, if we look at the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God gave man dominion over the earth. Not for man's glory, but that he would bear the image of God and reflect the glory of God throughout the earth. We see in the book of Proverbs, it says in Proverbs 25 28. That a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And so what are we to do with this? How this this can become an idol? It seems like we're supposed to be having control, right? And so while God, he's called us to have dominion over the earth as his image bearers, and he's working in us to through the Holy Spirit to produce self-control, one of two things can happen, though. One of two things can happen. We can as, uh, do as Adam did in the fall where we relinquish the responsibility of the dominion, of the control that he has given us, or we can make it into an idol and where we, we, we have to have control. And so today, because of our series, we're going to look at what it looks like to make control a desire of the heart, to where control stirs the affections of our heart, uh, 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 It becomes an idol in our lives. And and some of us may already be kind of shrinking in our seats already, right? Oh, I struggle with control. Yeah, that's a hard one. But what we're going to find today is that that many of us need to relinquish some control in our lives. But we we need to do this, though, in a healthy way. See, we need to do this where we don't relinquish the responsibility of what God has called us to in self-control and given us, and so I just want to make that clarification before we dove in here. I don't, I don't want anybody walking away from here like, okay, I just don't need to do anything. This is awesome. No, 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 no. that's not what the scriptures are saying. Because many of us, we, we have our, our hands tightly gripped on control, and we love it. I'll admit right now, uh, before we even get in here, I'll be honest, I am a control freak. Yes, very much so. I have a tendency to want to control things more than I was meant to control them. And, and what I found out through this idol of control is that it's a, it's a deep idol. And it surfaces in many other ways. We have a, a deep tendency in this idol to find our satisfaction in the things that we can control, which is why control freaks love idols more than most people. See, when we think about it, and when we think about these idols of our heart, we, we just, we simply believe that they are, are more easily controlled than the living God because we don't control the living God. We What's really happening is that we're gaining satisfaction. We're gaining, uh, we're finding significance in our ability to control whatever it is in front of us. When in reality, we don't actually control idols. Idols control us. And so I don't, I don't know about you, but like through this series, the desires of the heart series, like I've I've been coming in, and no no offense to Jason, but I've been like trying to uh, hear. I love the music, and then I'm like, how can I miss the sermon? <laughs> it's been rather convicting. I, and I know I'm not the only one. It's been convicting. And so, like, every time, that's, that's really hard for me to do because I'm, I'm here for three services. So I've, I've never actually achieved that, but I want to every time, every Sunday. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I sh- I'll struggle with that. Oh, <laughs> that as well. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Gosh. And, and so uh, I found this week during sermon prep that, that, that the reason I'm struggling with all these things he's talking about is because I love to control stuff. I love it. See The Idol control services in many, in many of the idols that he has spoken about in this series in, in relationships and being right and performance, but it comes from the same place that all idols come from, this simple notion that we love something more than God, us. We love ourselves more than God. and, and, and control, though can be a very destructive idol because what happens when we try to control things is we 'll find out. Sooner or later, that there's things in this life you're not going to be able to control, and and we find out uh, that that it really becomes into this downward cycle when we chase after these things. Because while control is a result of fear and anxiety, it also then just leads into more fear and more anxiety, which then leads us to try to control the situation even more. And and then usually, we're left in either one of two places one, we're depressed, we're discouraged. Or we're just completely unsatisfied and we become become much more of a a predator rather than a person. You know that person. Some of you are that person. The the idol of control, it can become a very scary thing in our lives. And so what we're going to see from the scriptures today, hopefully I'm praying, I've been praying, that, that, that Jesus would reveal to us that that he's challenging this idol of control in our lives by showing us um, that our ability to control life in its fullness is an illusion. It's an illusion. In order to encourage us not to live a life of trying to manipulate every little thing around us, but rather that we would see how God works in us to seek the kingdom. That we might relinquish the control we think we have and experience the fullness of life with God. And so if you'll open in your Bibles, we're going to start in Luke 12, starting in verse 22. If, if you want to use your phone or your tablet, please, please do so. We'll have it on the screen. If you don't have a physical Bible, if you don't own that, we've got one under the seat for you. We'd love for you to take that home. So we're starting in verse 22. It says... And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. We'll continue later. We'll stop right there. So what Jesus just shows us is this this anxiety, this fear that we usually walk through life with is really a heart issue. We're missing the meaning of what life is truly about because we view life through this lens of trying to control it. Therefore, we, we give lesser things, uh, things that are easy for us to control, more value than they were intended to have. And so rather than than knowing that something like food or clothing or a relationship or a a reputation or success is not going to satisfy us, it's not going to give us the gratification that we're searching for in life, we try to control and manipulate them into doing that for us, which leads us to operate in what? Fear, in anxiety, in worry. Because it's not working. And so let's take this example of food that Jesus uses Jesus says life is more than food. I, I don't think he's ever had some ice cream, though, right? They didn't have that in his day, did they? We'll take his word for it. It's okay. I mean, I, I guess we can trust him, right? Or can't we? And, and so when people struggle with this idol of control, they'll, they'll take something like food, okay? And they'll, they'll make it into something that it was never meant to be for them. And this happens in a lot of different ways. One, they can, they can struggle with not being in control of all these things around them, and so they, they turn to food, and they, they, they eat in excess as a way to comfort themselves. Uh, another is that they can get lost and decadent or fancy eating, where they try to use food um, and, and control how others or how they view their significance or their worth or their status. Or, or another, they'll, they'll, they'll barely eat anything as it means to control their weight and trust in their appearance, And what's happening is they're placing a higher value on what food can give them, and they operate out of this ability to control how food makes them feel. Because they think, well, I I can manage this. And and so they search for comfort or significance or approval in food, which are all things that food was not meant to give them. The scriptures tell us that that food is a good thing. it's that, That God created it for us to enjoy it. It's a gift but not because we can manage it or control it to get some sort of feeling out of it, but it was a gift that it might remind us of the giver of the gift, that we might worship God. And so that's why Jesus is saying here, like, like food shouldn't bring anxiousness. That's not its intent, in, in, intention. That's not, not what God, why God gave it to us. And then he talks about clothing. Says, Jesus says that the body is more than clothing, and oftentimes, we try to control our, our, our appearance to, towards others uh, through clothing. Again, there's different ends of the spectrum here, though, aren't there? There are those that say, well, I, I don't care what anybody thinks about me, so much so that's all they'll talk about, right? They, they, what's behind that is this fear of rejection. And so in an effort to control others' approval or disapproval of them, they'll, they'll control it, they'll take it in their own hands, so that they won't be subjected to rejection. They cut themselves off from others. And and then there are people who are driven by their appearance, and so they take control by doing things to the excess, where life becomes about what brand of clothing I wear, or dieting, or grooming, or exercising, or shopping. Again, it's this idol of control that, that, that causes them to search for comfort, or significance, or approval in how they look which was not meant to give them those things. See, when we try to control things like this, we become actually, you know what happens? We become enslaved to our physical bodies. Where we're not able to know the satisfaction that can come from, from knowing that, that God has clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. Or, and we're not able to, to look with eagerness and hope and anticipation for our heavenly bodies that he's preparing for us. See, this idol of control enslaves us to things here on earth like food or or clothing, yet we're always left wanting something from it that it will not provide for us. Food and clothing, like, they're not bad things, they're great things, they're gifts. But when we approach them through this lens of our need to control them, they can cause us to become anxious. They can become destructive things for our lives where we we will find ourselves in this revolving cycle of anxiety and worry and displeasure because we idolize, not it, but our ability to control it. Our ability to, to get a benefit out of it rather than recognizing that everything is a gift of God to result in worship of him, and that's what life is about. So in my own life, I told you I struggle with this. I, I like to control people. I'm weird. Um, it, it's mainly because, and you heard it in my prayer as well, I, I struggle with the approval of others. I just do. And, and so when Ally and I were dating, um, always fun dating stories, um, I felt like I was supposed to lead her. That's what Christian men do, right? So you're supposed to lead her. And so I had a real, like most Christian men, uh, had a real unhealthy view and uh, of like what that meant and what that looked like. So so I'll put it to you this way. I'm one of those guys that uh, you place that Ephesians 5, 22 passage in my hands that, that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, and it's like a stick of dynamite waiting to blow up in my face, right? Like that's who, that's who I am, because I have control issues, and so... You know, I completely neglect the rest of that passage. It talks about sacrificially loving and leading your wife and, and as Christ did for the church, but thankfully God blessed me with a very mature and wise and gracious woman who loves Jesus much, much more than she loves me. And, and so I'm just thinking in this relationship, I get to be the leader. This is awesome. I get to control the relationship, right? Uh, and, and so the two problems, one, we weren't married, so none of this really mattered. But, but secondly... You know, I suggested that we start doing, uh, I, I, I didn't pay attention to the rest of the passage. And so in, in an attempt to try to lead us, I, I suggested we do a Bible study. Bible study is not a bad thing at all, is it? That's a great thing, right? And so I'm like, well, let's do a Bible study. This will help us in our relationship. It will help us you know, uh, in our obedience to God to stay pure before marriage. That was a big deal to us. We wanted to, we wanted to achieve that. And so I was like, all right, Allie, let's do a Bible study. Let's open up to Ephesians 5. We're going to read just just verse 22, (laughs) all right? See, if you submit to me, it's all going to go good. Our relationship is going to be awesome. I'm just kidding. I'm not that dumb, but that would have been better than probably what I did do. And so we sit down, and we're doing this Bible study or whatever, and we're looking at the Scriptures. And rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to tell us what the Scriptures are saying, it just turns into me lecturing Allie about the transfiguration and who Elijah really is. I, I, I looked like an idiot. And, and so I'm like, but I'm thinking, I'm like, man, she, I bet she's really impressed, but she didn't know this about the transfiguration. I, I got her now, right? Like she's impressed with me. And she's looking at me like I'm a weirdo. Not because she doesn't enjoy a good Bible story, because she's not knowledgeable about what I'm saying, but because I, I tried to lead her like an immature know-it-all, as if she was beneath me. Is this she was beneath me and and that she didn't know anything and I had all the answers, right? I had all the answers to, to be able to help our relationship. But I, I remember on the way home, um it, it, the, the night didn't end well. It was, it was rather awkward. Um, and she's been gracious, she she gave me another shot, right? Like we're we're actually celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary this Friday, so that's awesome. Uh it, but I remember on the way home, like I was freaking out. I was like, man, I'm gonna lose this relationship. What did I do? And so I start going over everything I did. I started obsessing, and I made this game plan to remedy the whole situation and how I was going to win her back and, and lead her better and all these type of things. And what was I doing? I was just trying to control the whole thing and go over it again, right? Operating the same thing. See, early on in our marriage, I, I just really tried to control everything. And it took me a little while to realize, like, when I try to do that, it, it's, not, it's not helping anything. It's just making it worse, so for my need to control both my and Allie's spiritual life, yes, control freaks, we, we control others. We try to. Um, I didn't leave well. I looked like an idiot, and we had many ruined nights because of me. And at some point, by the grace of God, I realized like, like I, it's not my job to play the part of the Holy Spirit in her life, much less mine. Yet that's something that we struggle with, and see... Like even marriage, it's it's a good gift, right? It's a good gift from God, just like food and clothing, but it was not given to us that we would find our satisfaction in the other one or in our ability to control the other one to make us feel a certain way, but it was given to us that when we experience marriage, that we would worship God, that we would resemble his glory here on earth. And so Jesus is teaching us something very profound here. He's showing us How this idol of control can surface in simple things, good things, things like food and clothing, things that were meant to cause us to worship God, but yet can lead us into a life of sin when we value our, our ability to control them beyond their intention. But thanks be to God, Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives us three truths of how God works in our lives in the rest of this passage. And so the first one is in verse 24. This first uh, truth that, that Jesus hits is God's providence. And so if you'll look in verse 24, it says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And so the first example he uses here is I think very important for the control freaks in the room. I do. Because I don't know if, like you saw that, but he talked about ravens, right? Anybody watched a bird lately? Yeah, some of Yeah, some of us do. It's not what I like to do, but that's fine. But they're, they're fairly active, aren't they? They're like singing in the morning. They're flying everywhere. They're doing somersaults and all these cool tricks in the air. And they're, they're gathering twigs for their nest in the tree, right? Like, like it's crazy how active they are. Control freaks are a lot like that. Yes, I just called you a bird. And so they're a lot like that, right? Like they, they try to hide behind this facade of busyness, of activity. They're like, I, if I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done the right way. I don't care if I have a million other things to do. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to do all of it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it all. Right? They're not usually lazy people. And, and so while birds, are the same way, I, I, this is why I love this illustration, they're, they're not lazy here. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's just saying that they, they can't sow or reap. nor. Do they have the ability to have a storehouse or a barn? Meaning, meaning birds, they can't farm. They can't uh, 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 cannot grow or harvest a crop. They can't build a barn to store their food. Or if you think about it in our day and age, you don't see birds shopping at the grocery store, do you? They're not taking a cooking class. They don't have the little mini fridge in the nest with the tree, right? And so that, that's not what's happening. Really, when it comes down to a bird, like it's just a rat with wings, that's it. In other words, they they never know where today's food is coming from, much less tomorrow's. Yet they go about their day trusting and knowing that God will provide what they need to live. And so Jesus is saying here, look look at God's provision for the ravens. They they have no way of life without him. And if God cares and he provides for the ravens that are of lesser value, will he not also take care of you who is of more? God's care of the ravens occurs because God cares about his creation. Yet we are not like all of his creation because he himself has set us apart. He has made us in his image and after his likeness. Therefore, if he cares for the ravens who are not, who are lesser, then how much more confidence should we have who are made in his image? The next illustration, he goes, he continues this in verse 27 and 28. It says, consider the lilies... How they grow, they, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, oh, you of little faith? And so he says, if God spends the kind of care on what's alive today and tomorrow is in the oven if he provides for the lilies in such a way that they are are arrayed in splendor, more more than Solomon in all of his glory, how much more will he provide for those of us that are of more value? I love how he compares the lilies to Solomon here. Many of us know Solomon was known for his wealth, for his splendor, and what he's saying here is that human glory fades in comparison to God's ability to care for the lilies. And yet you and I, go through life questioning his care for us. What he's getting at here is the same concept, that that if God cares and provides for something of lesser value than we who are made in his image and after his likeness should have all of the confidence in the world that he will care for us and provide. And so Jesus uses these illustrations of ravens, of lilies, in order to show us how when we try to come at life and, and, and control and manipulate life out of this fear of need, that we, we look ridiculous. Because what he's saying here is that ravens and lilies have more faith than we do. He's essentially saying to us, you're struggling with something that ravens and lilies don't even struggle with. Like, seriously, do you know how silly that makes you look? What he's doing here, he's not trying to be mean. He's trying to call us to a place of humility. To a position of humility in order that we would recognize that everything we have is from God. That there is not one thing that you have this morning that has not come from the provision of your father. The the idol of control surfaces when we don't understand this doctrine of God's providence for his people. We begin to trust in our ability to control creation rather than the creator who has provided everything for us. We we walk through life with our hands tightly gripped on these lesser things to produce what they cannot produce, which leads into more fear, worry, stress, which results in us trying to control all of it even more. And Jesus is saying here, hey, hey, stop that cycle. Just take a breath. Look look at the ravens. Look at the lilies. Look look and behold how, how God's cares for them, how he provides for them, how he loves them. He loves his creation. Know that if he provides for these of lesser value, then he will surely provide for you who are of more value because you've been made in his image and after his likeness. The the next truth that Jesus points us to in this passage is, is God's sovereignty. And he does this in verses 25 and 26. In the middle of those two illustrations we just read. And so if you'll look at verse 25 with me, it says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And so Jesus poses this question to us. He says, how, how does your anxiousness add a single hour to your lifespan? And then he responds us. He does it a lot, I love it. He shows us if we're not able to do something as small as adding a single hour to our lifespan, then, then maybe we're not in as much control as we think we are. Therefore, we, we shouldn't live in anxiousness about what we cannot control, but we should live in trust to the one who does have control. See, anxiousness is not only the cause, but it's also the product of this idol of control. It's being eager and concerned to make something happen for ourselves. And control freaks live in anxiousness, in worry, in nervousness, in unease. And Jesus is graciously calling us again to a position of humility here. He's showing us that we are finite, that we have limits, that we are temporal. Therefore, control, ultimate control, is really this illusion that we've bought into. And he does that with a with a simple question. I'm like hard for me. He says, who, "Who can add a single hour to their life?" That's why I thought, nobody. Only God can do that. Yet we have this flawed view that because we live in a in a world, in a culture with so many choices around us, that that we then think we can control our destiny. However, we are also insecure people, and we seek to overcome that by, by a will to control the things around us, and we live our lives as though we're not limited. Yet, when we take a step back and we think about it like Jesus is trying to get us to do with this statement, we, we realize that we really have very little control over our lives. We, we didn't decide when we were born, where we were born, who our parents were, who our brothers and sisters were, our childhood environment, our physical stature, our genetics, most of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we won't decide what happens 10 years from now. We won't decide what happens tomorrow. We we, we won't even decide possibly what could happen today. And so he's not doing that to scare us, he's doing that to show us that, that guys, we're not independent beings, we're dependent creatures. We're dependent creatures. He's echoing the words of the psalmist who says in Psalm 103, As for man, his days are like grass. He he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. But the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to those who fear him. And so at the same time, he's reminding us of our lack of control, our limits, our finite state. He's also over and over again in this passage pointing us to the one who is in control of all things, which is God. Yet we often hear, we buy into another false narrative that that God knows the future, but he does not control it. Or that he upholds the world by by his own hands, but he does not intervene in it. Or, Or that he gives general direction to us, and then we make the rest of our lives happen. And what we, you know, we hear that our days are numbered, right? But yet we, we buy into this lie that, that if I just take care of myself, if I just eat enough kale and I stay away from the sugar and the carbs, then, then I, can, I can maybe make my life go a little further. Boom. What happens when we just get hit by a car? When we're playing, that kale didn't save you from that. I like kale. That's a good stuff. I need to eat more of it. But. And so the Bible teaches over and over and over again from Genesis to Revelation that that no man, no woman, no animal, plant, or any of creation is in complete control. That God alone is completely sovereign and reigning over all things. In in your notes, in the worship notes on the back of your chair, I I listed a a couple of addresses for you to look at uh, scriptures. Uh, to see this, this sovereign God that we serve. Isaiah 40 is on there. It's one of those. And it's one of the many places we see this glimpse into God's sovereignty. And starting in verse 6, Isaiah, he shows us our temporal state. He, he, he does exactly what Jesus is doing here. And then though he encourages us to behold the Lord who rules with might, who set all of creation into motion and holds it in its place without help or instruction or prompting. That he needs no overseer, that he needs no assistance, that he needs no counsel, that no one has taught the Lord to rule with justice and knowledge and wisdom. That he brings the nations and the princes and the rulers to nothing, that he sits above the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers as he, everything is divinely planned from him. See, Jesus is graciously showing us that this idol of control, it's an illusion, it's not real, in order that we would press into the one who is actually sovereign, who is actually in control of all things. Therefore, in our lives, we we, we shouldn't view these events as they come up as, as something to control or something to manipulate, but as an opportunity to trust and obey God, an opportunity to rejoice in the one who has complete sovereignty over all things. And so while we see here that God is sovereign and that you and I are not, sometimes we we struggle to see how that's for our good. That's hard. It is hard to, to try to comprehend how's this sovereign God, this sovereign being, how's he after my good? Why would he be? And so Jesus, though he handles this for us, is he points us to God's good pleasure that he has in providing for us his children. And so look at Verse 32. Look at verse 32. It says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so Jesus is reminding us here of the true heart of God. This knowledge that that, that God is operating out of his own delight, pleasure, and gladness when he gives towards us. See, we're prone to think at times that that God doesn't really want to be gracious with us. He he doesn't really want to, you know, be generous and and helpful. He just wants to judge all these sinners. Jesus is trying to help us see that that God is not one who gives begrudgingly, nor under compulsion, but but he gives out of his pleasure, out of his gladness. That God alone knows what is best for us. Therefore, he finds pleasure in providing that for his children. And this is such a liberating truth for those of us that struggle with this idol of control because we oftentimes have a faulty view of why God works in the way that he does. See, we all secretly love, if we, if we just want to be honest this morning, we, so we secretly love a relationship that relies on us. Because we, we desperately love being that hero. We love to think that we have something to do with our fate, with our destiny, Therefore, we view our relationship with God as contractual, that we are saved by our good works rather than covenantal, that we are saved through faith. That if we don't have enough merit, if we don't have enough good works, if if we don't make ourselves valuable and worthy in the eyes of God, then he will not provide for us. Our lives are not gonna go well and we take it into our own hands and we try to control all of it. Therefore, it's deeply Satisfying for our souls to know and to hear the Son of God say this morning that God is not bound by your abilities to provide for you. But he does that out of his own free pleasure and his own deep delight that is found not within you but within himself. Jesus is recalibrating our hearts to see God's actions towards us as his unmerited favor, his amazing grace, his mercy, his love. Because, see, Jesus knows that ultimately what we need in this life is not to feel like we're in control of it, but we need to know the deeply satisfying love of God. That's what we need, that we might trust in his ways more than our own ways, then we want to understand that ultimately everything God is doing in our lives is to give us the kingdom. Did you see that? That's what he's doing, which is for our good, right? It's for our not just physical good, not just present good, but for our eternal good. And so if it was by God's pleasure, I want you to follow me on this, if it was by God's pleasure to sacrifice his son to give me the kingdom, then surely I can trust him in all other areas of my life. Surely I can trust him in all other areas. I see how serious he is about this. I see his love for me and the cross. And so, throughout this passage, he, he's showing us this. He's showing us God's providence, his sovereignty, his pleasure, and how they work together to rid us of this idol of control, this fear, this anxiety that creeps up in us. And, and, and really, the whole anchor of all this is verse 31. It says, Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. And so Jesus says instead of worrying about all that junk, all that stuff, these basic needs, instead of operating in this idol of trying to control everything that's and that's really an illusion, seek God's kingdom. Seek this God who provides, who is sovereign, who takes pleasure in the sacrifice of his son to give you the kingdom. And when you do that, those basic things will be added. Now, some will take that verse, they'll twist it, and they'll say, see, if I seek God, life gets easier. My, my house gets nicer, my bank account gets bigger, my health gets better. That's not what he's saying here. That's not the point. So the key word there is, these basic, it is not these basic things. The point is that if you seek after God, it's not that you get stuff. It's that you get God, and he's enough. And, and so what we see here is, is that Jesus is telling us this, This idol of control is is uprooted from our lives when we concentrate our energy on the interests of the kingdom rather than ourselves. He's saying kingdom heirs are free from the constraints of this world, from control, from anxiety, from fear, from worry, from nervousness. You know why? Because they have everything they need in Christ. He has everything they need. Which is why he then tells you in verse 33 and 34... Go sell your possessions. He's saying, get rid of all that junk that you try to control, that distracts you, that leads you into fear and anxiety and worry, and that in the end, guess what? You're not taking it with you to your grave. It's going to perish. He's saying, let it go. Take hold of the treasures of the kingdom of God that is an everlasting source of peace. And so as we, as we take all this into account, I just want to make sure, like, we know this, this doesn't mean life's not going to be difficult, it doesn't mean when you're faced with a tragic event, you just turn on Frozen and start singing Let It Go and you feel all better. It's not it. It doesn't mean that, that like our minds aren't going to race with anticipation at times, that we're not going to lose sleep at times trying to think through all these things. What it, what it means is that in the midst of chaos, our Heavenly Father gives us confidence. That in the midst of turmoil, we know we, we have a God who provides, that, that even though we don't know the outcome of this, God does. And not only does he know, but he's in control of it. That, that even though we do not deserve for all of this stuff to work for our good, it's out of his good pleasure that he lavishes us with grace. See, when you get hit with news that's outside of your control, confidence doesn't come from your game plan. Your checklist. It's not going to sustain you. You're not manipulating your way out of cancer or a tumor. Or a wayward child or a hurricane, you're not gonna do it. See, it's the mercy of God to allow us to walk through certain things in life outside of our control to teach us that ultimate control is really an illusion. It does not satisfy us, it doesn't instill hope, it doesn't instill joy, and in the end, it will not save you. Therefore, it's a freeing thing to understand that you're you're not in ultimate control. As terrifying as that is, you're not. And you know what? There's freedom there. I promise there is freedom there because what it does is it then allows us to get our eyes off of ourselves and gaze upon the one who is our provider and gaze upon the one who is in control of all things, who is sovereign and who gives at of his pleasure and grace for our good. See, if we're honest with ourselves, this idol of control, it can really be summed up in a simple confession. We don't trust God. We don't We don't trust him. We don't trust that he's going to provide. We don't trust that he's in control. We don't trust that he's ultimately after our good. That's ultimately what we're saying when we operate through this idol of control, that that I know what's actually good for my life and I'm going to make it happen. Watch me. And if we're ever going to overcome this idol, if we're ever going to find actual true peace in life, we've got to get to a point where we're not pretending that we trust God. We're not pretending that that doubt isn't there. My my youngest daughter, Emma, has had multiple conversations with my wife this week about the fact that she she just doesn't believe that Jesus loves her, because she doesn't believe he's real. And she's very skeptical, very inquisitive, which is something we love about her, it's not something that scares us, right? And so, but I started thinking about it, what what a bold confession for a child of her age, who goes to church twice a week, gets the Bible read to her at night, who's sitting and listening to worship songs, who prays. Like, what a bold confession. I'm I'm so glad to know that she's not just faking it, as I did when I was her age, and do even at times now. But yesterday morning, Allie was reading her a passage about God's love, and so she reads it, and she goes, hmm, let me hear another one, but different place. I was like, okay, yeah, well, that's another one, right? Uh, and then, you know, her, her big solution to all this is, well, Mom, I just need to go to, to, to big church with the adults. Like, that'll solve it. That'll solve it. But what I, what I love about her thinking through these things and trying to figure out all these things is, is she's pressing in, right? She's not running away. She's pressing in. She's not running away. See, the point is that no matter what age you are, it doesn't help anyone in here to pretend. It doesn't help anybody in here to pretend to trust God and just go about their life trying to control it we need to press in in order that the Holy Spirit would break us of that. The Holy Spirit would would break us of this lack of trust through confessing if we're ever going to be able to move forward. To be bold like little Emma and to lay our doubts in the hands and care of our Father. And so as we close our time in the Word today, I just want to lay some questions before you to consider confessing today. That you you might feel the, the presence and the peace of God's grace over your life. So if you've spent this whole time with someone else in your mind rather than examining your own heart, Jason does this one every week, you might have an idol of control. If you find yourself basing your decisions on outcomes that you can manage, that you can control, in other words, if you pass on opportunities because you may not get what you want, if you make decisions in fear, you may have this idol of control. If you find yourself uh, uh, consistently defaulting to your game plan, your checklist, your people, before you pray, and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you, you may have this idol of control. If you live in a constant state of fear, like there's things that if you lost the decision of them today, like what to eat, or what to wear, or, or what to drive, you may have this idol of control. If you tend to manipulate others for your own benefit, whether that's your friends or family or parents, husband, wife, coworkers, kids, you may have this idol of control. And then finally, if you struggle with a works-based mindset of faith, with a works-based mindset in your faith. So like when you only feel God's presence in your obedience, that one should sting some of us when you run from him rather than to him in your sin when you feel like you got to do things to earn his grace when you simply don't trust him when something's going on you might have that idol of control and so for now for some of us like, like even now I've been preaching for about 30 35 minutes we're sitting there we're thinking about we're like wow I really don't have as much control as I as I think I do like I don't you know, I didn't get to decide where I was born or when I was born or who my parents were. I'm not, you're right, I can't for sure say this is gonna happen tomorrow. So, so how do I control not having control? How do I do that? And, and I would say to you, I mean, play that game, but we just saw where it's gonna lead. Anxiety, fear, more control, anxiety, fear, more control, depression, or hurting others in your life because you're a predator. And Jesus would say to you in that moment, oh, you of little faith, quit torturing yourself with worry. Let let go of that junk and seek my kingdom. And what Jesus is trying to do in this passage, he's trying to set you free, to set you free from this vicious cycle and have you trust in the one who knows what you need. See, the, the solution to, to all idols, but especially control in our lives, is not just to change our behavior. It's not behavior modification. It's to change who we worship and what we worship. See, it's only in the pursuit of something greater and deeper that we begin to uproot this idol of control, that we put fear and anxiety to death. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound peaceful? But you don't have to control it. You can't, Right? Let's pray. I want to give you a second just to just to confess to the Lord. Maybe you have this out of control. Maybe you've been struggling with this. Maybe that's with your kids. Maybe that's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your friends. Maybe that's with with your food or with your clothing or whatever it might be. And so I just want to give you some some time to confess for us to quit pretending. Sovereign God, we come to you even though you already know, we we confess that, that, Father, we have sinned in this. Father, we have turned to our own ways, that we have uh, trusted in ourselves rather than you. Father, we ask that you would, in this time, as we sing, as we pray, as we give, as we do all these things, Father, that you would, Father, let us not stay in our sin let us let's us quit pretending that we trust you when we die father it's okay we don't we don't have to be the, the the prototypical Texas Christian father we can we can doubt father may we confess that that you might work in our lives this morning this is hard father we trust you to to do what you would do father that your spirit would come upon us that you would Encourage us that you would convict us, Father. May you do that amongst your people in this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.